morning, and I'm hoping this is working. I've struggled with a cold all week, and I was afraid if this thing went out, there might not be much of a sermon. Um, and I'm humbled, Jim, by those kind words. I, I think they're overly gracious. But I wanted to talk, when Jim asked me to, to speak, he was talking about, you know, how do we kind of set our priorities? And as I was thinking and praying about, okay, what what should we talk about? I wanted to talk about discovering God's will, because it's really hard to set your priorities if you can't figure out what those priorities should be. And, and as I was thinking about this, I, I thought, you know, there are a few areas that cause anxiety and frustration in the Christian life more than trying to figure out, what is God's will for my life? You know, why won't he just speak to me and make it clear? Wouldn't that be a lot easier if he'd just say, hey, do this, and we do it? It'd be a lot easier. And, and, and I, I was thinking about this, that you know, so often God just seems silent. Or we pray and he seems unclear. And I think some of that is, is our expectations as to how God likes to speak to us. But I wanted to cover this morning God's will. And, and I think it, it makes sense why it causes so much anxiety and frustration, doesn't it? Because what if I get it wrong? Is God's will a bullseye in the future that if I don't hit it exactly, I'm just out of it? Am I miss it? If I get off of his path a little bit, am I kind of second best, third best, fourth best for the rest of my life? How do, how do we discern these things? And every year I, I speak, um, I teach this. So if you've been in my college class, you've heard what I'm going to say this morning. And every summer I teach on this same topic. Because I find that this is an area we struggle with, and there's a lot of things that we just, maybe we need to realign our expectations, as as Jim said. But also, make sure we understand, how does God like to lead us? What does he like to do in our lives? Uh, You know, so so as we think of this, um, I just want you to, first of all, come away from this message. If there's nothing else, come away from the message with just a sense of, It'll be okay. It'll be all right. Um, you know, we get really wound up on this. And it makes sense. You know, questions like, who should I marry? And should I marry? And what should I do with my life and my career? And should I live somewhere? Should I go to church somewhere? All of these decisions we have to make, if you think about it, our life is the sum total of all these decisions, isn't it? And so it makes sense why we get so wrapped up and so anxious and concerned and so um, I just want to say this, I, as I've both struggled with this in my life and then talked to so many, especially young people about this, I just want to say this, I think many of us bear an anxiety and a burden that God does not want us to bear related to his will. That we, we just take too much on our own shoulders. And so part of what I want to talk about this morning is how do we get that burden off of our shoulders and put it on his where it belongs. So, um, and I also think that this is an area that Satan loves to have a field day with us and just build anxiety and performance issues and questions. So we're going we're gonna to look at God's will. And as a caveat to this, I, I just have to tell you, I've never heard God audibly speak to me. I've never heard it. And many of you have probably not heard God come down from heaven and say to you very clearly, this is my will, what I want you to do. And if you have heard that, my guess is you probably haven't heard it on every decision of your life. 
um, that every moment, every day, God is speaking to you audibly. He usually doesn't do that. So how does God speak to us? Well, and I, I'm not sure I can go, go to the next slide if you would. I think, I think over the years I was looking back thinking, how, do, how have I tried to discern God's will? And, you know, I've done everything from the flip point and pray, you know, where you flip the Bible open and you put your finger on a verse and you know, hopefully it's not, you know, Judas went out and hanged himself or something. But, but it, you know, I've tried that. I've tried uh, bargaining with God, you know, kind of the Old Testament. God, if you'll show me this, then I'll give you my firstborn child, whatever that looks like. Or do you toss a coin, kind of like the Old Testament Urim and Thummim, right? And you toss a coin and say, sovereignly to point this to head as if you want me to take this job, if you want me to marry this person. No, that's not very good. And then, uh, or do you lay a fleece? before God. I've done this before of God. If you want me to marry this person, then let me see a purple band on the way home from church. Right? Or if you want me to take this job, then have someone come up and ask me if I'm a Chiefs fan in the next five minutes. I think, I think if we're honest, we've probably tried a few of those things, and they're not good ways of discerning God's will. So how do we get to some good ways? And, and, and obviously, I'm making fun of those, but you know, the Bible's full of promises, like Psalm 16 that we just read, or Psalm 32, 8, where God says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. Those are great verses. But just because the Bible is full of promises like that, it doesn't mean we understand how he goes about doing that, does it? And so we're going to look at some principles this morning of how God likes to direct us. And and I want to give this caveat that honestly, we could spend weeks in a series on God's will, and we probably still wouldn't do it justice. So I will not do justice to discerning God's will this morning. I'm going to give you a cursory viewpoint at best, and yet I think it will still be very meaningful and relevant and practical in helping you discern God's will. So as we do this, I want to give three general principles that we need to understand about God's will. And I'm going to give you eight ways to discern God's will. Again, not complete, but at least it's a good starting point. So let's look first at three general principles. And the first one is that we're going to rarely find God's will for our future. We're going to rarely find God's will for our future. Now, what do I mean by that? What I mean is, is the distant future. You know, I want to know the end of the road, right? God, just tell me what life's going to look like in five years or 10 years or 20 years. And God rarely does that. What he usually does is show us the short term. So if our expectation is, God, show me ahead of time all of your plans for my life, you're going to be disappointed. And life is going to feel like a maze that you're stumbling your way through wondering, am I even in the right corridor? But God rarely shows us that distant future. One of my favorite passages in the Bible is John chapter 10. And in John chapter 10, remember Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. And he says, my sheep hear my voice. I know them. Or, or, and they follow me. Right? He, he talks about they'll follow me. They'll hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. And one day I was reflecting on this. I thought, well, you know, how does a shepherd lead? He doesn't go a mile away from the sheep and then start yelling, here sheep, come on, come on, catch up, come on, let's go. He doesn't do it. He doesn't pull out his phone and say, okay sheep, 
here's where we are, and here's where we're going to be, and here's all the steps that I want you to take with me. You got it? Now just memorize this map. See, shepherds don't lead that way. How does a shepherd lead? Step at a time. They lead intimately and closely with the sheep. The sheep hear, their vo- hear his voice because they're close to him, and they recognize him, and they understand him. But a shepherd leads a step at a time. He doesn't get too far in front of the sheep because the sheep won't follow him. They don't know him. They don't know that path. But he also doesn't reveal a lot about that path. He just says, trust me, I'll lead you. So one of the things I want you to, to, to consider is when you're looking for God's will, think about short term. What's the next step? Where is God right now? He may show you five years from now, 10 years from now, 20 But chances are he's going to be pretty silent. Or if he does, it's going to be very foggy. The clear stuff is right at his heels, one step behind. So that's the first one. And then the second one is that God's ultimate plan, his ultimate will for our lives is his glory. You know, a lot of us, when we start praying to God about, God, show me your will, what we're really doing is treating God like a magic eight ball. You know that toy? You shake it up and you, say, you ask it a question and it pop, floats up with this silly answer in it. And, and that's, I think, easy to do because we think God is there as kind of a will-vending machine. If I just put in the right combination of coins, he'll show me his will. But that's not the way God is, is it? He wants our glory. He doesn't care as much, and, and, and understand the way I'm saying this, he's not as concerned with our circumstances as he is with, our, with his glory. That, and that needs to be our starting point. But most often when I go to God and I ask him about my circumstances, I'm the focus, not his glory. And so I think the best first step to, to figuring out God's will is to align yourself that his ultimate plan for me, all of his will, past, present, future, is all about his glory. And if I start with his glory, I will be starting in a better place than if it's about my circumstances. Does that make sense? So start with his glory in mind and ask the question, if I'm struggling to figure out God's will, am I starting with God, your will be done? I want your glory, whatever it is, rather than God just solve this set of problems that I'm facing. So the ultimate glory is our ultimate will for our lives is his glory. Now, the third principle is that an unknown, an unknown future leads to faith in a known God. An unknown future leads to faith in a known God. Have you ever wondered why God doesn't just lay out our lives before you? That the moment you accept Christ, floating down from heaven comes this, okay, in year one I want you here, and in year two I want you here, and year three. Why doesn't he do that? He could. I think he doesn't do it because why would we trust him? If we had all the answers that we need, would we really trust him? I think he, I think he leaves us in the dark, if you will, about the distant future so that we'll trust him, so that we'll be forced to keep going to him because you know, nothing feels more out of control than the future. And when I start realizing how powerless I am over my future, I go straight to God. It drives me to him. And so that, that's where I think a lot of times we get frustrated with the haziness of the future. God wants us to be excited about it because it, 
puts us in this place where we seek him. We recognize our need for someone and something bigger than ourselves. So an unknown future leads to faith in a God we know. And that's the point, knowing God. So what should we do? Those are the three principles. Now I want to talk about eight practical things that you can do. And some of these will be really obvious, but I don't want to step over the obvious because, you know, sometimes those are the things that are most important. So the first principle is walk with God. You know, we love to quote and memorize Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make your paths straight or He'll direct your paths. But did you notice we have three responsibilities? He has one. What are our three responsibilities? Trust, lean, not, (laughs) and acknowledge or, or submit all your ways to him. When we do those three things, what's the promise? Our paths. Now notice what he doesn't say here. He doesn't say if we do our part of the bargain, he'll show us the future. He doesn't say that. He says he'll show us a path. Well, how do you follow a path? Step at a time, right? Step at a time. And that's what he wants, is just a step at a time. So I think think we need to to just start with the viewpoint that am I really walking with God today? Am I walking with God? Because if you're not, it's going to be hard to figure out his will. Okay, the second one is surrender your will to God's. Easier said than done, isn't it? You know, many times I find that when I'm saying, God, I want your will, what I'm really saying is, God, this is what I want. Would you please rubber stamp this? And, and And then I'm frustrated when he doesn't. So we need to be in that posture of, God, I surrender. I surrender because he is going to show us his will as to the degree that we're surrendered. You know, Romans 12, 1 and 2, again, another great verse that we love to memorize. It talks about God's will there. He says, brothers, I beseech you, therefore, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship, as the old NASB adds. Um, And then he says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that what? You may prove. Either that God's will is good and acceptable or perfect, or you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. So in other words, to the degree that we surrender to him, to that degree, he directs our steps. And the more surrendered we are, the more he directs our steps. But as I was thinking about this, I thought, well, I I don't know if he's directing us more, or maybe the more surrendered we are, the better place we're in to hear his voice. And there's less of that noise around us. Um, keeping us from discovering what he's already saying. And I think that's part of it. So as you surrender, you'll hear God's voice more clearly in the way he leads. So the third, um, again, may seem obvious, but obey what you already know to be as well. Obey what you already know. You know, about 98% of God's will is clearly described in his word. The small things like, should I marry and have a family and have a career? Maybe those are less clear. But 98% of God's will is pretty clear, isn't it? 
If you, you read things like 1 Thessalonians 4, we know it's God's will to abstain from sexual immorality. We know it's God's will, 1 Timothy 6, to not be greedy. We know it's God's will to have relational harmony, Ephesians 4 through 6, right? So there's so many things that we already know exactly what God wants of us. And, and we need to be mindful of, if we're not obeying and trying to obey the 98% that's pretty clear, why is he going to show us the 2% very clearly? So I think we have to have a posture of, I'm going to obey God, because as I obey God, again, he'll begin to show me more and more of the 2% that's less, less clear. So those are some of the obvious. You know, obey what you know to be God's will. Fourth, seek godly input. <clears throat> you know, Proverbs 11.4 says, where there is no counsel, the people fall. But in a multitude of counselors, there's safety. And this one, especially if, as, as you're younger, but I, I value it just as much as I'm older. You ought to have three or four people that can really speak into your life, who can speak not just to the, the, the things you need counsel on, but who are willing to point out the tough things in your life and personality. Some of what keeps us from discovering God's will is we want to make it a solo sport. But if we've learned anything about, about the, the Christian life, it's, it's community. It's designed for each other to speak into our lives. And so we need good counsel from those around us. And if you're, if you're young, I, I would just encourage you, make sure that one of those counselors at least has some gray hair. Um, because you want to surround yourself not just with counselors, but wise counselors who love the Lord. So get counsel. Fifth, pay attention to how God has wired you. you know, one of the things I think is the coolest thought is that God has created each one of us to live in a unique time, at a unique place, with unique personality, with a unique background, with unique skills, and with unique spiritual gifts. And all of that together is so that we can uniquely play a role, each one of us, in God's kingdom and his work. And so if we want to discover God's will, part of what we have to do is discover things about ourselves. How has he wired me? What am I good at? What am I not good at? First, First Peter 4.10 says, and it's talking about spiritual gifts here, but as each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. In other words, you have a unique gift, each one of us. And you may say, well, I'm not sure what all this combination of things is leading me to. I mean, I, I don't know. Okay, fine. There is grace to discover it. So, so just try. Like in ministry, you may know, not know what your spiritual gifts are. Well, try things. And what you'll begin to find is that in, in ministry and, and frankly in all life, your career, anything else, you have permission to try things and fail or succeed. You have permission to try things. And what you'll see is that the things that you're wired for invigorate you. You find that God is using you. You find people around you are touched by that. And the things you're not drain you. And you won't see the same kind of fruit. And you won't thrive as you do them. So I, I, I just want to say, you are wired uniquely but you have permission to discover how that wiring works. And if that takes 20 years, you are in God's will. That is fine. It is perfectly fine. 
You should always be learning and refining. So then six, and this one, listen to your heart. Now I want to just say that this is in addition to listening to the Holy Spirit and listening to His Word. And of all the things I'm going to tell you this morning, this is the one that we need to have the most caution with. But, but God's will will generally resonate with our desires if our desires are being transformed by His grace in a relationship with Him. You know, Psalm 37, 4 and 5, again, another verse that we love to memorize. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and He shall give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in Him, and He'll bring it to pass. Did you catch where he give you, He'll give you the desires of your heart? What's the precursor to that? Delight in Him, right? Because what happens is, as we delight in Him, the desires of our heart begin to change. They're transformed. And our desires begin to align with His desires. And as that occurs, the decisions we make will start aligning more and more to His, his desires. It's just a natural outcome of, a, of an intimate relationship with Him. So the, the key is, though, is, is make sure we're really discerning on those desires. When I was in college... My roommate, Scott, we were involved with Campus Crusade, now called Crew. And we, there was a group of friends, we all hung out, and, and one of the girls in that group came up to my, my roommate, Scott, and said, Scott, God told me he wants me to marry you. And Scott was like, hmm, he didn't tell me that. But, you know, bless her heart, we, we, I think she was listening to her heart. But I don't think she was getting either good counsel or letting God transform that heart. Because the backstory is, Scott had been dating his, his girlfriend since 8th grade. And they were just waiting to get a little later into college to get engaged and get married. It was never going to be Scott's uh, desire to marry this girl. And, and, but it was such a, it's always stuck with me as one of those that we need to be really careful with those desires, right? That sometimes we can really want a good thing. Scott is a great guy. By the way, he married his high school sweetheart, and they've been married decades. But God is, Scott was a great guy. I, I, if I was going to say marry someone, it would be marry someone like Scott. Good man. So Virginia wanted a really good thing. She just didn't want what God wanted, I think. She was allowing her heart to run ahead of a lot of other things that would have together maybe pulled her back from that some. So yes, listen to the desires of your heart, but make sure those desires are being transformed by a relationship with Him. And then seven, look at your circumstances. You know, one of the things I love about God is, is even though he's silent, he is constantly moving. And he is constantly opening and closing doors. We like to use that metaphor. And one of the things that he does is oftentimes he directs us into his will by showing us what he doesn't want us to do, as well as what he does want us to do. So he'll close doors and say, well, okay, I'm glad you started this direction. Stop. I want to take you this direction now. And for years, I, w- I had read uh, Acts 16, verses 6 to 10, and I realize it's a bit of an eye chart up there. Um, 
But I had read this. It's Paul's second missionary journey. Remember, they'd left Jerusalem. They're, they're traveling around. I'll show you a map in a second because I think it makes it easier to picture. But I'd read this passage, and I just glossed over it because I would end up with the very end of the verse about God had called them to go to Macedonia from Troas. But one day I was reading this, and it just really hit me, the brilliance of God putting this in here. So I, I want to read it, and then I want to walk us through it a little bit. It says, Paul and his companions, that's you know, Timothy and, and those guys, second missionary journey, they traveled out throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. And when they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. And so they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. And during the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. And after Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Now that just seems like a lot of cities, right? Where am I going with this? But if you bring up the map, do you mind? Okay, again, an eye chart. They start in the lower right, down in Jerusalem. They're going up, up around, you know, you see Cilicia there. They're going north, and as you get north, uh, Bithynia is in the upper center part. Mysia is to the left. Asia is just below that. And I put a couple of X's there. Now think of how they traveled in, in Paul's time. They traveled by foot. Now, in that, so about that much on that map is 100 miles. That's a lot of walking, right? And how did God direct Paul? I mean, a lot of times we blow through this, but I sat down with a map one day, and so I'm going to just see why these names are here. So what happens is God wants to get Paul down where that green, and if you're colorblind, I really apologize, but below Mysia is Troas, where that green circle is, God wants to get them all the way across the ocean there to that green X in Macedonia. How did God do it? Well, they start going along, and then they start heading towards one place. And what happened? Can't go there. Don't want you to go there. Then they start to another place, Bithynia. And God says, can't go there. Don't want you to go there. And so they say, so they're kind of ping-ponging. Right? Um, am I going this way? Nope. Closed door. This way. Closed door. No. Okay, we'll go down towards Troas because that's all that's left. And then at Troas, God speaks to him and says, I want you across the ocean in Macedonia. Now think about who's getting ping-ponged around here. Paul. Right? Now Paul was a pretty connected guy with the Holy Spirit, I'd say. Wouldn't you? So was he wrong? If you were traveling with Paul, would you be saying, Paul, can't you figure out God's will? I mean, you're an apostle. We're ping-ponging around here. What are you doing? Are you not listening to God? But God had a plan. And remember, just that much on that map is a couple of days' journey. They were traveling a long time. It would have been frustrating. They knew God wanted them somewhere, but God ultimately wanted to get them somewhere at a time and a place when he, had a, he would reveal the next step. Don't miss that, because I think it teaches us some things about understanding God's will. One of it is mistakes and failures, right? Did Paul make a mistake? No. I think he was sincerely led to try to go into Bithynia. 
I think he was sincerely led to try to go into Asia. I think he was sincerely led to cross through Mysia to get down to Troas. But God had him in a certain position of wanting to get him at Troas at the right time and place. And so he let him try these doors that kept closing until he got to the right place. And here's what I want to say to you as part of discovering God's will, it's okay to make mistakes, right? It's okay to go somewhere and you see, man, God closed that door. What happened? Well, maybe he wants to take me to another place and then another place. And eventually I'll start seeing God's plan behind it. Years ago when... uh, I had the opportunity to leave Kansas City, and I worked for GE at the time, and I'd gotten an offer for a job in St. Louis at Citigroup, and it was a vice president's position. I I was climbing the ladder at the time, and it was, I mean, that honestly was an idol to me. I really, really wanted to be a vice president. And so we prayed, we took the job, you know, we sell our house, we move, and I take a job in St. Louis, And my first day on the job, I thought, this is a mistake. This is terrible. And by the end of that week, I was like, God, I've got to get out of here. But I was under a two-year contract, because when they move you, they want you to stay there. So if I moved before two years, I'd have to take all that money and pay them back what it cost to move us. That was not insignificant. And through a series of circumstances, they let me out of the contract, and I eventually networked to a job in Topeka. And I took a huge pay cut and a huge title cut, and it was the best move I ever made. But here's the deal. When I was in St. Louis, all the time I was going, God, how did I end up here? This is terrible. He wanted to get me to Topeka, but I would never have gone to Topeka had I not gone to St. Louis. And I would not be standing here today if I hadn't moved to Topeka, because I wouldn't have moved to Lawrence had I not lived in Topeka. 20 years later, I can look back and clearly see God's plan. But at the moment, I thought I was making all these mistakes. I wasn't. God just had a time and a place and a plan. And God is more concerned about the journey than he is the destination. He is much more concerned about the journey you're on. He wants you to just follow him. He wants you to love him, to trust him, to obey him. He'll take care of all the ping-ponging that gets you to the end point where you need to be. But we can trust God. We can trust God. Okay, last and final principle is do the right, next right thing. If there's anything that you leave as a, from a practical standpoint from this message, it's this, do the next right thing. So we ought to be listening to the Holy Spirit, we ought to be listening to the Word of God, and we ought to do the next right thing. So, so how, do, how does this work? If you want to be married, then you ought to be praying to God Show me the next right thing. If you want a a new job or you're curious of your career, what's the next right thing? Education, what's the next right thing? Finances, what's the next right thing? So let me make it practical. Let's say you want to get married. You're single. You can pray, God, who do you want me to marry? And Legitimate prayer. And God may or may not show you that. Because what you don't know is, does he want you married in three months or five years? For 10 years, you don't know. But what's the next right thing? How could you pray? Well, maybe the next right thing if you want to get married is start reading on marriage. Prepare yourself. 
Maybe ask your roommates, your parents, you know, would I be a good spouse? Would I be tough to live with if you were married to me? You know, maybe, maybe some things like that. If you want a new career, great. You don't have to know exactly what that job's going to be in the job offer. But my guess is, is God is probably not going to drop a job out of the sky onto you. The next right thing might be to prepare your resume, to get, start networking, to start getting counsel on how to interview well. There's a lot of net re- next right things. But how did God lead Paul? He didn't take him straight from Jerusalem to Troas to Macedonia. He took him by a pretty circuitous route of just doing the next right thing. And so he kept looking for the next right thing. And as he took a step of faith to do the next right thing that God showed him, God led him and said, no, I'm going to close this particular door, and now I'm going to lead you to knock on this door. God closed that door, and then he went to the next door, and that one was open. So do the next right thing. Remember Jesus said, John 10, 27, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. How do you follow? Step by step, the next right thing. I I think God is remarkably faithful to always show us the next right thing. He may not show us the next six right things, but if we obey him and take the next step to do the next right thing he shows us, he will always be faithful to show us a next right thing after that. That ought to be where you go, I don't have to have it figured out. You don't. If there's one thing that I, I have learned about understanding God's will, is I don't have to know it all. I just have to figure out what the next right thing is. So let me wrap it. If God is transforming your heart, He will transform your desires and your mind. You will think differently and desire differently. And you will start discerning His will differently. So seek God first and foremost. Ask God, show me the next right thing. Then when He shows you, obey. Do the next right thing, right? And then then this, have faith in God. Trust Him. He said He's the good shepherd. He is bigger. He is bigger than your circumstances. He's bigger than marriage. He's bigger than family. He's bigger than career. He's bigger than whatever decision you're facing. And as you draw near to this incredibly big God who is willing to lead you step by step, the size of those circumstances that are giving you trouble now will diminish. God is faithful. He's good. He's big. Let's pray. I love, Father, how you lead us. It is frustrating to me at times. It is scary at times. But when I step back and think about how you love me, the plan you have for me, the faithfulness you've shown me, it just allows me to rest in you. And I pray that that's what you would do. Work in our hearts to teach us to rest in you. Work in our hearts to show us how big you are. Give us that hunger to know you first and foremost and then what you want uh, us to do secondary. God, you're faithful, you're good, you're powerful. Just lead us. Um, But more than anything, 
uh, help us to embrace you and to be close to you. In Jesus' name, amen.